Hi everybody and welcome to the ARC360 podcast with myself, Mark Hadaway, brought to you in association with corporate partners Solera Auditex, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Part Specialists in Darsa and Prasco UK. Welcome along, everybody, where we catch up regularly with some of the leading figures within the motor insurance claims sector. In this episode, we speak with Matthew Stansfield, Operations Director at Claims Solutions at Davies Group, who provides a fascinating insight into how the world of engineering is evolving from day-to-day value-add processes and procedures to more involved investigative work and specialist requirements. Matthew speaks with authority on the sector, highlighting how engineering continues to combine technology and human skill sets for ultimate claims accuracy and insight with the overriding aim of ensuring a seamless customer journey. He also reveals his award-winning podcast Alter Ego and how a self-driving vehicle might not be for him personally. Enjoy the podcast. Um, how, how is the world anyway generally at the moment? Yeah, it's, um, well, it's a challenging market, isn't it, that we're, we're in at the moment. And I think you just have to Everyone you talk to are all having the exact same issues. And I think as long as we all start understanding that these issues are there, they ain't going to go away particularly quickly. The sooner things will, will hopefully start to resolve themselves and, and get back onto an even keel. But I, I must admit, I do think we're some way from that at the minute. Speaking to lots of people, as you say, it's all, it's all the key kind of subject matters, which I think initially everyone kind of thought was just a little bit of a blip you know and within a few months they'd be all cleared up and then the world would be back to normal but um, you're right I was having a conversation yeah I was having a conversation with somebody probably February time and I think repairers were starting to book vehicles into April and and everything else and and we were sat in a meeting and I said hang on a minute I said what do people think is going to happen in April do they think that all of a sudden we're going to be booking vehicles for April we're not are we this problem is just going to continue continue until we, we somehow get on top of it or, or, or things change and I know a lot of insurers are trying to do do things differently at the minute and there's a lot more cashing out those kind of things going on but that's not necessarily an healthy position for us to be in is it so it's uh it is it's difficult because it's a strange market at the minute and in 20 odd years of being involved in this world it's I've never known it be like this it's so many moving parts as well it's it's almost it's bigger than the industry all mm. of it at the moment it's way beyond the realms of what we're kind of you know our, our challenges traditionally historically have probably been you know within the four walls of the industry and sort of you know in many ways well, i hate to use a word but but self i don't know what is self-created to a, to a degree yeah, I, we yeah and, self, and self-policing to some extent i suppose yeah. but i think you're out when you say there that it's it extends beyond the industry it does because i was on listening to the radio on the car on the way back over from the office and they're, they're already giving us warnings that the summer holidays are going to be a bit of a nightmare at the airports i know that manchester airport which is the most local airport to us is is chaotic at the minute and i think they were saying that easyjet ryanair and somebody else have started to cancel flights and essentially that's because they can't get the staff into the airport they can't get the staff into the airport to get us through security and check-in and everything else so like you say it, it's a problem that that extends way beyond just our our industry this absolutely incredible thank you so much for joining us today matthew really good to have you on how's uh, how's the world treating you yeah very good thank you mark keeping busy trying to keep on top of everything like everyone else in the industry at the moment but yeah good good overall
That's what we like to hear, my friend. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about yourself then. So Operations Director, Claim Solutions at Davies Group. I hope I've got that right. Correct me if not. Tell us more. What does that entail? Yeah, you're about right there, Mark. My area within uh, Claim Solutions is in the, the motor area, but more specifically, motor engineering and the repair network and also the uh, the forensic investigation side of the business. So uh, we're a Davies Group business at, at uh, GBB and Vanwells. We were acquired by Davies in 2019, so sort of come part of the group. And then responsibilities have sort of extended away from my usual areas into other areas that, that Davies deemed fit for, for me to, uh, to help them and, and get involved in. And in terms of you've touched upon kind of network and hey, things whenever people mention like forensics, I think that's always kind of quite exciting for people. But um, in terms of the network, what, what's the scale of the network that you deal with at the moment? And in terms of let's touch on that forensics thing a little bit more, what does that kind of just entail there? So the repair network at Davies probably you could argue consists of around 400 repairers. What I would say is around 180 of them are what I would class as our core repairers, so the repairers that, that get regular work from us and that we deal with on a sort of daily basis. They are a mixture of independents and, uh, and group-owned body shops, tends to be the smaller groups rather than the bigger groups, but a, a sort of good solid mixture of the two. And that we think that gives us some real leverage insofar as it gives us the benefit of dealing with independence and the entrepreneurial aspect that independents bring. And equally, um, the sort of support, the solidity of the bigger groups and and what they can actually bring to the table. We think we've got a really good mix, uh, some really good quality repairers in there that do a great job for us. On the the other side, so there's, there's two aspects to, to our business in, in the engineering side. So we've got the uh, Davies Motor Engineering, uh, which is as most things in Davies are, um, a mixture of acquisitions. So the first engineering acquisition was a firm called TLSS. They then acquired uh, GBB and Banwells in 2019. And more recently, we took BMTS in Scotland. And they've all sort of been merged together to create Davies Motor Engineering. 85 people in there, that, that a mixture of desktop engineers, field engineers, uh, forensic engineers, all going out and, um, and collecting evidence. The forensic side, specifically GBB, that's retained its own brand at the moment, but that is market leader for a number of years, which is, I assume, why Davies came along. Um, and it, it essentially is the bread and butter in there is consistency damage, fraud, low speed, those kind of investigations for all the top motor insurers. Uh, but beyond that, we deal with vehicle fire and theft, things large and catastrophic accidents. So we can deal with the, the very basic sort of scratching a bumper right through to um, fatalities and catastrophic brain injuries and everything in between. Operation there, plenty going on by the sounds of it. And I think, um, you know, like myself, a lot of us have been stood on the sidelines and, and watching Davis Group grow and grow and acquisition. So uh, it's interesting to find out a little bit about how it's all knitting together there. So tell us a little bit about kind of, you know, the, the work you do with your clients. And so so when called upon, how do you work with your clients? Can you give us a, you know, is there such a thing as a typical case? And I'm sure there's probably not, but any examples would be would be great. And any kind of extremes that you've been involved in? The typical case that we would deal with or, or the, the bulk of the work that we deal with is basic engineering. So agreeing repair costs, valuations, total loss settlements, all that kind of thing. So that creates the, uh, the, the bulk of what we do. 
and then beyond that it extends into to the forensic engineering what what we would always say is that that what we offer is it, it segues quite well together so so we can essentially take a job in at the lowest level accident accidental damage level so an insurer refers a, a job to us to say we want you to have a look at this because we want you to assess the damage to the vehicle and we might look at that and think actually there's a bit more involved here or there's more value that we can add to this process there's a little bit of further investigation needed and we can sort of seamlessly feed that into uh, into the forensic side so it's quite modular what we do but it all fits together very well to create a sort of one-stop shop approach to uh, to dealing with uh, with vehicle damage and, and everything that's associated with it. On the forensic side, I touched on we, we, we deal predominantly with the low speed and consistency damage, but right up into the, the catastrophic loss type of work. And again, interesting stuff. And, and whilst there's an element of repetition in what we do, no two cases are actually the same. And when you're getting into the real nasty stuff in particular, some of the things that, that come across our desk or some of the things that we get involved in, really interesting. The guys that we've got working for us so with everything from sort of imi qualified staff right through to doctors of engineering and chartered engineers so we can literally cover all bases and i think the easiest way to to look at it and the thing that i always say to to people when we're we're talking to them in the market is davies motor engineering which is all those small engineering firms brought together can tell you how much it will cost to put things right gbb can tell you how or why did something happen or did it happen? And if not, how can you tell us that, that that's not what's actually said to have happened? Very, very interesting. Very interesting. So I always, you know, it, it, on a superficial level, when you kind of look at our industry, it almost seems, you know, relatively simple. Collision happens, collision gets repaired, returned to customer on the face of it, you know, but so much goes on at every level, I think. And that, and that really fascinates me is how, you know, what something might not just sit right in that kind of chain and you know that's where guys like yourself come in and sort of intercept it and and take it to that next level i suppose yeah i think you're right and i think something that often gets missed particularly more to claims i can't speak for property and things like that but things that i think sometimes get missed especially in in the market that we operate in today where a lot of insurance is bought via aggregators or it's direct online and, and, and things like that so so people aren't aren't dealing so much with brokers these days they're dealing with um, a computer where they put a lot of information and in, it fires out a price, they pay the premium. So I think sometimes it's, it's often missed that actually the face of that insurer in the eyes of the consumer is the person they first clap eyes on, which might be the engineer, it might be the receptionist at the repairer. We, we sometimes miss that, that the consumer doesn't always separate those two things out. And I think we've, in, in our business, we've always had a keen eye on ensuring that that our staff are fully aware of that, that actually in this whole process and this claims process or the insurance process as a whole, you're more than likely the first person that that, that person claps eyes on and sees who they associate with the insurer that are sending us the instructions. Absolutely right. And, um, you know, having come at it from a, a repairer kind of background, that's where that's where my background lies. It's, it's very true. And I think that's something that's been uh, talked of in that sector specifically for a long time. But you're absolutely right in terms of where the engineering element sits. It's it's very much the same thing, isn't it? So yeah, absolutely. interesting. So lots of change. Uh, we, we are surrounded by change and we've kind of, you know, before we came on air, touched uh, touched upon one or two things. But vehicles are changing rapidly. Um, so too, therefore, is engineering. How are you kind of keeping pace 
or even getting ahead of the change, if, if that is possible. And what technologies are kind of coming to the fore to support what you guys do? Yeah, I was actually talking to somebody last week and I, and I said that one of the sort of benefits to a business like ours, um, especially with the backing of somebody like Davies, is that actually the engineering space hasn't changed a lot in 20 years. So other than the introduction of outer text and, and imaging taking away more of the bog standard engineering, where you might go out and look at a, a damaged wing, all of that's obviously dealt with predominantly at desk now, auto authorization, all of those kind of things. But actually, the industry then beyond that hasn't really changed a lot. So a lot of what engineering companies are doing is is the same as they were doing 15 years ago. Now, what we've tried to do is is sort of create a bit of more of a modular approach, sit with the, the insurers to say, right, what is it that you want us to, to do for you? What is it that you're expecting? We do sometimes get frustrated in things like service levels appear to be sort of managing or monitoring things that were relevant historically, but aren't perhaps as, as relevant today. So we try and sit down with the insurers and say, right, there's a blank sheet of paper. What is it that you want us to, to do for you? And we'll try and create a solution that suits your needs rather than a solution that we're just trying to say to you that, that, that you want. And it's, a, it's an approach that's worked really well for us. But because of that lack of change and, and development in the industry, I actually think it's an industry that, that's ripe for the introduction of additional technologies. We are looking at the moment at things such as video streaming for inspections. Um, so rather than necessarily have to send somebody out to the car, smartphone technology has now got to a point where we think actually we might be able to arrange appointments, do the inspection remotely using computer to smartphone technology, collecting the images, collecting the video and producing the evidence pack based on that interaction rather than actually having somebody stood at the side of the vehicle, eyes on the vehicle and everything that, that entails like traveling out to the vehicle, booking appointments that are suitable to somebody who might be working and, and those kind of things. So we're just trying to make it as flexible as we can to allow us to gather the evidence that we need to help the insurers to, to progress the claims and move them forward. Really interesting times. What I find interesting and having spoken to quite a few people recently is the sort of advent of technology that already exists, but bringing it into play in different ways. Uh, and I was speaking to somebody the other day about WhatsApp, other apps are available, but the way they were incorporating that into the business, we use it on a day-to-day -day basis, but they were in, in, involving in the business. And it's just really interesting, again, you know, like your reference, you know, the videos as well. What, why wouldn't you kind of thing? You know, everyone's got this technology in their pocket. There's nothing more you need to do. Um, and everyone's Absolutely. very familiar and trusting in it. Absolutely. And I think someone said to me not long back that a lot of the technology we're now adopting in insurance claims is technology, as I think you've just sort of inferred, has been around for years. And we're probably slow or late adopters to these things. When we do ultimately adopt them, we see that actually they have they have massive benefits. And we're looking at technologies now as part of the, say, customer interaction piece where we're using things like chatbot technology, for example. So we try and line the customers up so that when we're making the outgoing calls to arrange inspections and things like that with them, we're doing so from a point where they've been made familiar with who we are, what we're doing, and equally they've had what they will perceive as an interactive two-way communication with us because we're using the chatbot. Now, this isn't new technology, but it's new technology in our space. It makes all the difference. It, it, it cuts a lot of the friction out. And I do I do believe that we, we're in a market now where actually there's more 
desire to embrace technology and I think that that's one of the things that the pandemic has had a positive impact on so I think that going back sort of two years I always used to have cash in my wallet I wasn't necessarily a chip and pin user that kind of thing I would use it if I had no cash in my pocket but I wouldn't use it as habit nowadays I never really have cash in my pocket some of my friends will say I never had cash in my pocket but <laughs> that that's not true um, but yeah I think it's one of those things where actually the the pandemic and a lot of what happened in the pandemic has made us embrace as 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 a nation and, and probably in the world has made us embrace those technologies and those different types of serving offer service offering much more than we ever did previously and i think the time's right now for us in insurance and in claims to actually jump on that and make the most of it and and bring with it the efficiencies and the savings and everything that that using that tech to interact can can bring Absolutely that. Absolutely that. And what's what's the kind of what's the thoughts around AI involved in, in engineering? Are you are you at liberty to to discuss? Yeah, I'll be honest with you, Mark. When we first well, became aware that the AI was becoming a thing in our space, we had two options. We either badmouthed it and said it'll never work, it'll 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 never be, never catch on, it'll never replace an hands-on engineer, or we had to try and embrace it and run with it and keep close to it. And we made a decision that the best thing to do would be to embrace it and to stay close to it. What I will say, and that's probably five years ago that, that it first started sort of gaining a little bit of traction. What I will say is that I think it's got a long way to go, AI, to replace the boots on the ground or, or the eyes, should I say. But it, it has made great strides in the last the last four or five years. And I think there's a place for it. I think there's, there's certainly a place at the moment at its current level in things like triage and identifying the correct route for vehicles to go um, and maybe even maybe even it's got to the point now where it can settle the more straightforward of claims but I do think that we did a bit of a gap analysis on it previously where we looked at it and said right the AI can do all of this where are the gaps and what can we do as a business to help fill those gaps I think it's here to stay I think it'll continue to develop and get better and we've just got to as, a, as an industry embrace it and, and run with it and try and make it work for us and like I say just provide the solutions where the AI can't do what it needs to do. I find, I find it really interesting because I, I kind of sit in the camp where I think it will add great value back into engineering and take engineering to you know, dare I say what it was kind of originally set out to do, almost like that sort of, you know, 80-20 rule that those straightforward cases, perhaps AI can take care of the 20%, and I'm sure it's a greater percentage than that. That's where real engineering mentality, mindset, knowledge can come to play and really kind of give that value back into that proposition, I think, I suppose. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I think that that's beneficial insofar as uh, engineering in its own right has probably been a reducing skill set in, in the insurance world in the last 10 years or so. So uh, probably maybe eight years ago, we started to see that actually the progression from estimator in a repair shop to becoming a field engineer or an, an engineer in an insurer or an independent stopped being the, the career path of choice. And, and that was predominantly because the repairers were paying more than the engineering companies or the insurers were paying for, for, for those people. So it sort of started becoming a little bit of a dying skill set. So I think th th there is going forward going to be limited numbers. We've taken the move to create an academy or an apprenticeship. So we, we are starting to deliver an apprenticeship with local training providers. So we've 
created all the content, it's had endpoint assessment given to it, all those kind of things. So we're in a position now where we can actually take apprentices and start creating our bit of homegrown timber, if you will, to try and help us fill that that skill gap. Um, but I do believe that because those skills aren't as prevalent as they once were, then AI will probably come more to the fore, but 100% agree with you when you say that it will actually probably focus engineering where engineering needs to be focused. Yeah, really interesting. Really interesting. Hey, great work on the uh, the academy as well. What a you know fantastic stuff to do, and you know it rings true across the industry in terms of I think a lot of people looking at uh, grow your own type talent, and you know it's it's brilliant to get uh, young people engaged in the sector. It's a super exciting sector that it is, that's for sure. Again, I suppose uh, you know aligning with that EVs. Um, Knowing what you do, you know, what are the, what are your kind of thoughts in terms of timelines, volumes in claims at present and, and what will be the impact of EVs on, on your, you know, engineering type role? Yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that the uptake of EVs has probably caught people a little bit by surprise. We've always known that that, that this was coming as, as an industry and the, the world has known that EVs were coming. But I think actually the appetite for EVs has grown quicker than what people perhaps anticipated. I was reading that something like 25% of new registrations these days are EVs. But as it stands at the moment, there's only 420,000 actually pure electric cars on, on the road. I think it said 780, maybe 800,000 plug-in hybrids. Now that's out of a, a car stock in this country of circa 33 million. So it's still a small percentage, but it's a growing percentage. And it, I think, like I say, it's growing rapidly um, and probably far quicker than what people anticipated. My concern as far as EVs are concerned is the infrastructure isn't growing at the same rate that actually the uptake is. So things, charging points, for example, there's far more EVs than there are charging points. I suppose you could say that about um, petrol pumps, but, this, but, but actually, practically, um, it, it's a major problem that needs that needs resolving. Of the, the sort of charging points, there's only so many that are rapid charge. So practically, EVs aren't necessarily where they need to be, but, but it's coming, and it's coming at a great pace, and like I say, a far greater pace than what I think anyone anticipated. Now, like I say, infrastructure-wise, I think the last stuff I read about the technicians in the industry only six and a half percent of them are actually equipped or qualified to to work with EVs that in itself creates a problem doesn't it and equally I was at one of your events recently where people were talking about who's going to pay for the repairers to get in a position to be able to take EVs have all their staff qualified have all the equipment all the safety equipment everything that, that's needed for them and there seems to be a bit of a standoff at the moment that insurers are sort of looking at the repairers to pay repairers are looking at insurers to say can 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 you help us can you give us a little bit more money in this and in the background we've got the guys at factory saying we well, need to get this sorted because one way or another you're gonna to have to have the right quals to to get on and deal with these things so it's it's a real a, re, a real conundrum and I, I, there's a lot of manufacturers are saying that by sort of 20 30 they're aiming to be completely ev aren't they so um, it's interesting it's interesting it'll be very interesting to see how it develops I think you're absolutely right, and, and interesting. You know, sat on this side of the fence as a as a consumer, a driver. You know, where where do you go with your next vehicle purchase? You know, do you just sit on what you've got for the next X amount of years, or you know, it's, it's I'll be it's honest with you, Mark. I've just done that. I've just done that. I've I've stuck with petrol at the moment, and a lot of that is because I I cover a lot of distance at times, and practically EV is not where I need it to be for me to do that. I'd love yeah. to have an EV. I've, I've 
used EVs, they're great, but it's just not where it needs to be for me personally. And I think there's going to be a lot of people in that in that boat at the minute, maybe when we get to 2030, and if the manufacturers are really committed to hitting these targets and, and everything, we'll all be in a position where we'll all be having, we'll have to drive EVs one way or another, won't we? So be interesting to gauge it in a, in a year's time or something when, you know, things have settled, if you like, people are back to travelling as they were pre-pandemic and just see where everyone's mind mind space is at in terms of if they are driving EVs or have the uh, intent to acquire in the next uh, uh, few months or so. So take us through then what we sort of touched on investigation, but how, how does a kind of, you know, investigation happen if, if you are called upon to provide such service? How does all that work? The work we do tends to be for, for the motor insurers. We do get involved at, at different stages, but generally we tend to come into the process probably a bit later than you'd expect. So two vehicles have been involved in a collision. There's some discussion as to whether or not there's a belief that the accident is staged or that there's, there's exaggerated damage, those kind of things. So we tend to get involved. I think I did some to, some analysis fairly recently where on average, we were about six weeks after the accident date before we were actually called upon to get involved in, in these investigations, uh, which is an awful long time uh, when you consider um, the costs involved in some of these cases, particularly where there's credit hire and all that kind of thing involved. But yeah, we tend to get involved probably a little bit later than what you'd expect. Um, there's multiple ways of, of dealing with these things. We, we, we uh, Nowadays, with the way that technologies move forward uh, and imagery, those kind of things, we can give opinions based on, on images uh, much better than we could do years ago. Um, the best evidence is always to get out and see the cars um, and, and have a look, particularly in, in the, the more large and, and catastrophic stuff, getting out to the car and collecting all the information you can and, and the evidence from that vehicle is is, is key. Um, yeah, we, we get involved. Um, again, try and keep always mindful that, that commodity we sell in forensics it, it, it's quite an expensive commodity but it's not an expensive forensic commodity if you will so we're always mindful that the insurers are keeping an eye on, on the cost so we try and keep the costs as low as we can where we can to ensure that actually we're probably only giving them we, we, we give them the answer but we only give them the full all singing all dancing reports in the cases where there's going to be some genuine value for them so a lot of people will be surprised to hear that probably 60 percent of what we we receive actually goes back to say yes we can tell you what's happened but it doesn't necessarily favor your opinion so you might as well get on and settle the case and it's probably only 40 percent that actually moves on and goes to the next stage where the insurers repudiate so um, people often look and think whenever i see one of their reports it's saying that this accident hasn't happened or the fire didn't happen as it was said well that's because it's in the 40 percent and not the 60 percent that people never see because they never get shared with anybody do they because ultimately we're just saying get on and pay the claim that is, a, that is an interesting figure that's for sure yeah, yeah very interesting and, and in terms of broad investigative work what is technology you know in terms of either that big vehicle technology or technology you deploy is that aiding and assisting is it making it you know, I'll use the term easier, but there's probably no such thing. But, you know, is that... yeah, it, it is to some extent because vehicles are now uh, collecting so much information. The, the sort of analogy I always use is if you think about it, when you get in your car and somebody gets in the passenger seat, your car will tell you in the sat now in the, the sort of infotainment unit or maybe on the dashboard that the doors open or this is how that's happened or there's somebody sat in the seat at the back. Now, your car's recording all of that information 
and more and more now, especially with changes in EU regulations and the like, we're able to get access to that information. So there are things that historically we couldn't access or couldn't tell just by by looking at the vehicle that actually we can take the information out of the vehicle. Now, what I will say is that the data works best when used alongside the physical evidence. So rather than just saying the data tells me this, actually, you've got to look at the physical evidence as well, because uh, as we all know, data is not always accurate. So there can be issues. But if you can if you can say, well, the data suggests that this vehicle was moving at 30 miles an hour and the damage and the and the crush damage analysis suggested it was moving at about between 28 and 32 miles an hour, you're in the right, you're in the right area and the data is beneficial to giving that opinion and supports the opinion. So it's, it's an interesting one and more and more vehicles now are giving out this information. So, so we're investing in the kit to, to take that information from vehicles and, uh, and use it as part of the investigatory process. And alongside that as well, we're also using things such as laser scanning and photogrammetry to present the evidence better. So Laser scanning can create scene plans to, to within two two sort of two millimeter accuracy, and we can create models of vehicles using photogrammetry to sit them in those scenes to say, right, this is what actually you're being told this has happened. The reality is, looking at the damage to the vehicles and putting them all back together, this is what's happened. So I think a, a lot of people have seen TV shows in the past where they'll show police investigating serious collisions, and they'll actually get a crane to pick one car up put it down and create to pick another car up, put it down and then piece them back together so they can see angles and things like that. All that's done in a 3D environment now. So it, visually, it's far better for uh, the people involved in the process to see and to make decisions based on on that sort of real visual evidence that you're able to give them. That's cool stuff by the sounds of it. That You know, that is really kind of techie stuff. And I mean, it's uh, certainly obviously assisting in what you do and the, and, the, and the vehicle data itself. You know, again, what's interesting about that is and something you referenced was, you know, you can't take the data, you know, in, in its own right. It's also relies on that human skill to piece the whole jigsaw together and cross-reference yeah. the two. Yeah, and I, and I think there's there's a sort of lack of awareness as, to to the general public, and this isn't this isn't a criticism of the general public because if if I wasn't in this industry, I'm absolutely certain I wouldn't know this. But I think there's a there's a lack of understanding about just what information your vehicle is is recording. So we have we have some equipment that can actually take information out of the infotainment system. Now this is at the moment is only used by us to help in criminal investigations because of the sort of data protection aspects to this. But that will take the information out of your sat-nav unit to say even who the contacts are on your telephone, where you've been in, in, in the preceding sort of two weeks. So all this information is actually being recorded and stored and people don't even realise it's realise it's there. So it's there's, there's a lot, there's absolute mountain of information within within vehicles that if you can get at, get access to it can can help solve a lot of um, a, a lot of investigations it's certainly clever stuff isn't it there you go and it and it makes you wonder then when you uh, you know when you hand your vehicle back or uh, you know you sell a vehicle i suppose it knows a lot about you <laughs> yeah well you mentioned you mentioned earlier that um sort of notable cases and things we, we did one fairly recently which was a criminal investigation and it was a sort of murder investigation it invo- involved a vehicle that had been hired and this person had used the vehicle, gone to a particular location and um, the, the, this sort of murder had, had taken place. We did an investigation where we were asked by the police, right, we've managed to find the hire vehicle that we believe triggered AMPR, that kind of thing. Can you tell us whether or not this person had been in that vehicle? And they'd connected their phone by Bluetooth to the sat-nav unit 
and it sort of put them put them in the vehicle wow. at the time it was in the location. So really Good interesting story. stuff. What trends are there? Trends emerging in in sort of accidents and frauds, uh, and and what can the industry do to support? Now I heard the other day that uh, catalytic convert, converter theft is is making a comeback due to the the metals in there, and and that seems to be making a resurgence. I always thought that was a crime of the kind of nineties that had, that had disappeared, but uh, alas, not. Yeah, yeah it, it it is. You've got the things the the the, the thefts where there's key cloning all those kind of things that's something that seems to have, have died down a little bit the relay theft that seems to have died down but yeah things like uh, catalytic converters what we are seeing as a trend is things like things like e-scooters now starting to be involved in in, in these kind of cases we see a lot of and this is more of a, a social a social sort of demographic thing but for example we deal with a lot of cases now involving things like deliveroo type drivers and and those kind of things which again is probably something that's only really come into existence in the last few years it's one of those things where actually a lot of what we deal with is the same stuff that we've always dealt with but there are always little trends that appear a few years ago it was things like for example wing mirror to wing mirror collisions leading to whiplash injuries that kind of stuff and and it's all stuff that that actually it appears and then then sort of disappears and, and falls by the wayside but what we try and do is just stay ahead of the game sort of do research to support the opinions and make sure that actually when the insurers come to us with enough knowledge of these things to to provide substantive opinions to them. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it's always been a, you know, how does the industry kind of link up to protect itself, really? I mean, some years back, I met up with uh, IFED and we were kind of discussing, you know, how how does how do insurers and repairers and likes yourselves, engineers kind of, you know, get that message relay that message across to each other and it's quite interesting speaking to a couple of repairers recently that you know especially with the catalytic converter stuff that they'd noticed other elements at play and therefore you know spoken to the insurer and said hey you know along with this you need to watch out for you know whatever it might be disarming of the alarm because that's how these things are occurring so it's it's great to see that those messages are sort of transcending the industry yeah and i think it's fair to say that when i was first involved in insurance claims interaction between those kind of agencies interaction between insurer to insurer interaction was non-existent and it was always sort of seen that there was a little bit of a competitive edge if you had a great fraud detection team and repudiating fraudulent claims it was seen as a little bit of a competitive edge on your on on your, your competitors it's much better now where there's far more interaction far more um, sharing of data, sharing of information to ensure that actually the industry benefits rather than just just the individuals. And that, that's been one of the great things that's come over the last sort of 15, 20 years that it's gone from a little cottage industry where you're looking after yourself to actually everybody's involved and we're trying to beat this problem together. Okay, well, drawing to a, a, a close on the interview, and it's been, it's been a great conversation. What can we expect from yourself and Davies Group in the future? And what might we be talking about in five years time great question i think from a davies point of view i'd be called the wife i was to say that there won't be any more acquisitions in the in the future i know that that's certainly on the radar in, in different areas so not just not just in the uk and the us at the moment but maybe even into sort of continental europe and, and those kind of places as well so i think that's um that's well documented that the davies have huge ambition to to continue doing what they're doing from my own point of view i think just really staying at the the, the cutting edge of, of what we're doing and trying to actually improve the industry by ad- adapting what we do to 
involve all these these technologies and, and, and getting the best results for both the consumers, the insurers and everybody that's involved in the process. I'm a big one for customer service as well. So if we can get to a position where that customer interaction is a seamless and, and sort of they have to make one telephone call and everything's done and dusted for them and the vehicle arrives back at the front door fully repaired, then that's the sort of utopia vision for me. And I'd hope that in the next four or five years, that's where we can we can really get to. I like that ambition and it's uh, fingers crossed. But I think we are, you know, I think it's, uh, I, as you say, I think it's great the way the industry is now communicating probably more than ever before open, candid conversations that a lot of people are having about all the very areas that we've we've spoken of. So it's, it's great to see it kind of pulling together. So thank you so much uh, for your time today, Matthew. However, you don't get away just yet because we've got the quick fire question round. So what one thing might not many people know about you? That's a, a great question. I think I've, I've done a little bit of podcasting in, in another world that I'm involved in. I'm involved in sport and, and cricket in particular. So I'm, I'm involved in a, a podcast that started as a bit of a hobby during lockdown to develop into, um, into a little bit more. And um, we won an award for it fairly recently from the Lancashire Cricket Foundation. So it's an interesting one. So it's not my first rodeo, so to say this. Fantastic. I knew I was talking to a professional. I knew it. Right. I'll be coming to you for some tips. Um what would your alter ego be doing right now? Depends which alter ego. So the alter ego, the sort of dream, I suppose, like all all young men, either a rock star or a footballer or a cricketer, that kind of thing. I think realistically, alter ego, if I'd have chosen a different path back when I was younger, I'd probably be a greenkeeper or something like that, riding around on my lawnmower with my headphones in, just enjoying the sunshine. I think that's uh, <laughs> that's the sort of dream for me. That's a job that everyone wants in the summer and nobody wants in the winter, I know. Absolutely. Um, best bit of business advice you've ever heard seen or received it's an old one this but it, it stands true and i think will always stand true so so the best piece of advice i was ever given was turnover for vanity profit for sanity but cash flow is king a more recent one and i think this is this is, is this sounds a little bit harsh this one but but a more recent one that sort of come on the back of the pandemic and different habits of people and things like that has been if you can't change the people change the people which i think it's like i say it sounds a little bit harsh but i think it's actually it's good solid advice i really like those two very very nice good and here's the one this one usually divides a nation self-driving vehicles should we ever get to that point for you yes or no and why not for me i don't want to get in my car and there be a windows update but on a, (laughs) a, a on a serious note not for me but i do think this is a generational thing and i think that the, the coming generations where they see these things when they're getting into motor vehicles will be far more receptive to it than what perhaps we are, Mark. There you go. Super stuff. Very diplomatic answer at the end there, Matthew. So uh, yeah. thank you very much for your time today. Really do appreciate it. Oh, that's great. Thank you for having me. So there we are. A huge thank you to Matthew for taking the time to talk to us. And I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Really is fantastic to gain a greater understanding of what engineering entails in its bid to protect all stakeholders, including everyday policyholders, in evidencing the correct claims decisions. Many thanks for listening. You've been listening to the ARC360 podcast, brought to you in association with Slera Audatex, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists in Darsa and Prasco UK. Take care, everybody, and catch up soon.